The studio was a double height space with whitewashed brick walls. There were large plants everywhere, and the south half of the roof had been cut out and replaced with glass, so the general atmosphere was that of half greenhouse, half circus tent. From an iron crossbeam wound in fairy lights hung a two-seater swing. People were taking photos of each other on it, posing with their legs in the air. Some tall girls were arguing over the choice of vinyl, only to be outdone by Frank Ford, who was banging out some eight-bar blues on an old grand piano in the corner. The dancing hadn't started yet, but you could feel it coming like the electric fizz of a tuning orchestra. Somewhere along the way we had lost Dill. Perhaps one of the others had found him. Paddy and I flopped onto a large divan and began to judge everyone in the room. She asked me if I had any pills earlier, he said. Who? Marla. Jesus, I said. Doesn't that, like, poison the baby's milk or something? God knows, said Paddy, but she seemed pretty rabid. He imitated her posh little girl croak. Paddy, Paddy, darling, you got anything on you? Mama wants to party. Christ, I said, shuddering. Who do you reckon's the baby daddy? Probably one of her brothers. The Tashans are far too snobbish to breed with anyone outside the immediate family. Ew, speak of the devil. And there was Henry standing in that hunched, concave way that the very tall adopt, holding a bottle of beer and talking to a good-looking red-headed man whom we all called Rusty. Henry didn't look much like his sister, bar the thick, near-black hair. His eyes were blue like hers, but less vapid, or maybe he'd just taken fewer drugs. He was beautiful like a child is beautiful, unselfconsciously and almost supernaturally. Henry had been one of the notoriously fit boys at Mosshead, the nearby boys' school that Mila and I had been obsessed with growing up, and I, specifically, had been obsessed with him. He'd never paid me much attention until last summer, when we'd hooked up after Notting Hill Carnival. I couldn't believe it. My inner teenage self was doing backflips when he kissed me. Afterwards, when I didn't hear from him, I was mildly wounded, but not in the least surprised. I hadn't seen him since. Word was he had a girlfriend now, Imogen, an intimidatingly beautiful content creator, someone more in his league than me. You know she dumped him, said Paddy, following my gaze. What? That gazelle, Imogen. She met a model in Australia. She's gone all clean eating and yoga and crap. And become a lesbian? A male model, you fool. Jess came and dived over Paddy and me, causing enough of a commotion for a few people to look over, including Henry. We caught eyes and... Did I imagine it? The effervescent hint of things to come. Would you like some drugs now? Asked Jess. Yes. We gathered in the upstairs bathroom, Niall and Mila sitting side by side on the edge of the bath, their hands threatening to hold each other's. Dill curled up on the windowsill with a cigarette. Jess and Paddy formed little MDMA dim sum out of Rizzler papers and handed us one each. This bathroom's bigger than our flat, said Jess, swallowing. Legit, said Mila. It's very anti-Semitic, you know, said Paddy, chasing his bomb down with some water from the sink. What is? MDMA? asked Dill. New Year's Eve. In the Gregorian calendar, New Year's Eve is St. Sylvester's Day, who was the most awful anti-Semit pope. Oh, fuck off. It's true. Oh my God, said Jess. Yeah, there's a street race in Brazil, the St. Sylvester road race. My cousin's always posting about it on Facebook. Annoying. Of course there is said Paddy. Brazil is where all the Nazis went to hide before Nuremberg. Are you saying, said Dill, that because I am one of the chosen people, I shouldn't celebrate New Year's Eve? In Belgium, 
Women who don't finish their work by sunset on New Year's Eve are cursed to not get married for the whole year, said Niall. Like that's a curse, said Jess. Why do you know that, said Mila. Niall gave her a sad smile. Lena. Lena was Niall's ex. She had dumped him out of the blue six months ago with no explanation. Maybe that's why she left you, said Paddy. Because she hadn't met her deadline and didn't want to wait another year. We all got hysterics, chemicals kicking in. Fig candles burned here and there. I remember fleeting snippets of shallow conversations, all the time aware of Henry in my orbit, Henry across the room, everyone I spoke to just a time filler before Henry. Hi. Finally. Hi, I said. Somehow, we decided to go and take a line of cocaine together. I let him lead the way to the downstairs loo and shut the door behind me. His arm curved around my waist to turn the lock, his body above mine, his mouth level with my eyes for that split second. Rusty gave me this, he said. Hope it's all right. I need to dance, I said, coming up from my line. He smiled down at me through long eyelashes. Cool. Back in the studio, there were somehow three times as many people as there had been 15 minutes before. The music was louder, conversations had to be shouted at close range, and people had begun swinging each other around the dance floor. The Rolling Stones' brown sugar was playing. Henry and I edged into the fray. We'd done this before, we moved well. A flash of him pulling me up to stand on a wall by his side, somewhere along a crowded Ladbroke Grove, dance hall beats thrumming. He was the perfect dance partner sporadically taking my hand and spinning me, then giving me space to move, and as we went on he would draw me right into his arms and up close to his body. His smell, a flicker of his hand in my hair. The drugs snaked through me. I was floating. Lights around the room lost focus. All I could see was him. At some point the music stopped. Hannah stood on a chair and shushed everyone. We raucously counted down from ten, nine, eight, one! Happy New Year! The familiar and uncanny feel of Henry's lips. I lost him briefly as Mila and Jess pulled me over to dance until my heart was beating so hard I could feel throbbing in my chest. I came out to the garden to find Henry talking to Dill, who was puffing on a joint and creased up laughing. What's so funny? I asked. Dill was too much in pieces to answer, and Henry merely shrugged. I tweezed the joint off Dill and dragged on it hard, trying to mellow myself out a little. I'll take you there if you like, Henry said to Dill. Where? I asked. My family have a place down in Cornwall. It's very remote and quiet. I was telling Dill he could go and do some writing there. Dill attempted to gather himself. I would absolutely love that. Are you really sure you're not just saying it? Henry pulled on his cigarette. I don't do that. You're the best, Hen. Explosions in the distance, the smell of gunpowder in the air. A few white stars were visible from this pocket of London. Inside, the pulsing beat changed distinctly from the shoulders and hips symbols of rock and roll to the head and hands throb of house music. Oh God, I said. Come on, Dill yelled and darted into the studio to join the throng. Henry drew me to him and enveloped me into his jacket, kissing me more urgently now. Ecstasy spread warm and easy through my body. Oh, shit! Dill was suddenly calling over to us from the studio door. Henry, you don't want to see this! Everyone was laughing and cheering inside at some spectacle. The terrible, thin music was suffocating. Unable to see what was happening, I looked to Henry, who, at well over six feet tall, was something of a human periscope. There was something wrong. Hen? 
Henry, what is it? I shouted. His jaw constricted. It's Marla, he said. What? I managed to cram my way into a gap in the bodies and saw Henry's big sister, stark naked, clearly high as a kite, writhing almost gymnastically around with Rusty, who looked utterly wasted himself. I turned back to Henry and yelled, Do you want to get out of here? Yes, he nodded. Yes, please. 